0: i Nordby with NDSU Adams County Extension, and you're listening to Agriculture Applied. Innovate, relate, create with NDSU Extension. Today, I'll be sitting down with Rangeland Management Specialist Kevin Sedovic. Kevin is known across North Dakota for his practical advice including range, land management, cover crops, plant ID, and everything in between. Kevin is a great resource for producers and someone I'm constantly turning to for advice and recommendations. Grab a cup of joe and settle in to ponder innovative ideas and reflect on generational changes which can help us create a better tomorrow. You're not going to want to miss out. I'm sitting here with Kevin Sedovic. This is my first in-person interview that it's been a while since I've gotten to have one of those. So welcome, Kevin. I'm very excited to have you here. And we'll just kick things off with our first question. Can you share with listeners what exactly it means to be a range extension
1: specialist? Well, first, I know, it's, it's my pleasure to be here <laughs> in person with you. And so it's just nice to visit in person. But it's kind of a funny question on a range extension specialist. It's amazing how people think about range. And they think about the oven. And so a range specialist, someone who works with the ovens, I'm like, no, 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 that's not what I'm doing. So as an extension range specialist, you know, our job is to look at, at management strategies associated with rangelands. And normally in our country, it deals with livestock grazing. So I get a chance as, a, as an extension range specialist to work with ranchers, work with producers who manage rangelands. And the other caveat is I get a chance to work with people who are interested in wildlife, since rangelands is one of our major forces for wildlife production.
0: So a little bit of everything right a little bit of everything. yeah that's kind of how i think extension agents we say we're a what a jack of all trade and a master of none and specialists are, i think are a little bit more tuned in but still a pretty wide range of areas
1: that you cover right i mean you can make it as wide range as you want then you're right a specialist is supposed to be more discipline oriented um, but that's not me um, so I like to do with, play with anything that relates to livestock and forages and range. And so I'm probably the oddball one who likes to look at more questions than just range lands for livestock grazing.
0: Fair enough, fair enough. Well, I guess we'll kind of, I'll dive into my first question relating to the topic at hand. Now, not to be a pessimistic right now, but trying to be more of a realist Things aren't looking super great in the Dakotas as far as precipitation goes. You know, it's looking like we're probably going to have a pretty dry summer. What are some precautionary steps livestock producers can take anticipating a drought this year. I know my dad, he's like, Hannah, this is drought planning or drought management 101. And then he goes off on this tangent about all the different things that I should be thinking about and people I should be calling and stuff like that. From a range extension specialist though, how would you answer that question?
1: So I think, I think people need to understand and realize that 2020 was very dry. And so the, the, what's unusual this year is we now had a dry summer we then followed it with a dry, extremely dry fall. One of the drier falls we've had in the last couple of decades. And then we didn't get any snow. So we have this, this domino effect of drought followed by drought followed by drought. And so 2021, the, the reality is we are going to produce less grass in 2021 unless we get 150 to 200 percent above normal precip in the months of April, May, and June. So producers or land managers who are looking for 2021 in terms of drought strategies just understand that production is going to be below normal no matter what happens. And if we get into a spring drought, we could see production numbers be 50% or less of normal. So I I would tell producers um, just know where we're at in terms of subsoil moisture. If you look at subsoil moisture right now, we're at 5% or less of normal subsoil moisture. So even if it rains, we were not gonna we gotta restock our soils. And it's just gonna take a lot of moisture to do that. So I'm just telling telling as as a rain specialist and looking at forage forage forecast, um, I'm forecasting a below normal production year in 2021. Irrelevant unless we just get really, really wet.
0: Right, which, I mean, when you're rolling the dominoes, I guess that's not what I would bet on, right? No. Hope for the best, plan for the worst Correct. and everything. Yeah. Before moving on, you just talked about your um, production forecast for your range lands. Let's talk a little bit on determining grazing readiness this spring. You know, what's the best way? How can producers best determine this date? So the
1: 2021 is the going to be a little bit unusual in that what people don't understand is the grasses that grow in the spring, in that months of April and May, already started growing last fall. So the the precursor is the tiller that occurs in the month of September. And so if that tiller is removed in the fall, for whatever reason, it delays turnout in the month of May. So what happens when you have a droughty fall is that tiller dies. So I would suspect most of our cool season grasses, whether it's brome, crested, western wheatgrass, will have lost that bottom tiller because we were so dry in the fall and winter months. So in 2021, producers should expect a delay in grazing readiness because of that 10 to 14 day delay to create a new tiller. So what most producers we look at, we tell them is you look for a three-leaf to three and a half leaf stage of your of your either if it's if it's an exotic grass like brome grass or crested, it's three leaves. If it's a native rangelands where you have western wheat grass and green needle grass, it tends to be more three and a half leaves. And it's that it's at that time period of phenology that the plants have stored enough carbohydrates back into the plant tissue where it can survive, grazing, and that survive's not the right word, where it can tolerate without impacting production. So in 2021, we're gonna to to see a natural delay, and based on the data that Dr. Meeham's collected over the last few years with our county agents, she has shown that when we don't have the fall moisture, there's roughly a 10-day delay in the three and a half leaf stage. So, in, um, just, just so to, to kind of come, up, come across the front here, Look for those three leaves, three-and-a-half-leaf stage. No, it's not, it's not going to occur on May 15. It's probably going to occur more on May 25 this coming spring.
0: Right, and so maybe that helps producers think right now, okay, we're going to have to be maybe supplementing longer, feeding out hay longer than expected, and we can't, just because we've always done this in the past, there's going to need to be some adjustments for this year. Right.
1: I, I, th- I think they just need a plan for, for a delay and turnout. The caveat is, I'll say, I'm not going to delay turn-up. I'm gonna go out May 15. Then you will pay for that loss of production on the backside of the grazing season. And the the rule of thumb is for every pound, every day you graze early in the spring, you lose three days in the fall. So if you wanna go out on May 15, just know that you'll have to plan to do something else in the fall because you're gonna run out of grass earlier. And if you have a drought on top of that, now you're gonna see even more loss of production.
0: Right, so really weighing your pros and cons. Is it worth, turning out early this year, or are you better off? And I, I'm i sure we both would agree that most people would be better off delaying that turnout, right?
1: Right, and and, and think about what are their options. I mean, it really comes down to what else do I do? Do you have a crested wheatgrass field? Of course, that's your great place to turn out early. Do you have extra feed or extra forages to delay that? Remember, every day you, delay, you can delay, you get it back on the backside, so look at what your options are. Plan now for less grass in the month of May and determine Are you going to use your crested? Are you going to feed more brome or more? Are you going to go on crested wheatgrass and see what you can do to delay turnout?
0: Right. And I mean, being able to delay turnout, maybe you should delay 15 days, but the best you can is 10 days. I mean, something's better than
1: nothing. Is that fair enough to say? Every day saves you some on the backside.
0: Right. Well, I mean, slower is is faster. Be patient. I know everybody's always chomping on the bit to get out in the springtime and everything.
1: And so are the cows.
0: Right. (laughs) Grass is always greener on the other side, even if it's all yellow. (laughs) Okay. Now, once you've determined it's time to turn out, are there certain grazing rotations you've seen work better than others to optimize little bit of a tongue twister there, but to optimize forage production in pastures.
1: So what I would do is, and, and I don't know what every producer manages differently and they have different rotations, but if you do have multiple pastures, what you'll want to do in this coming spring is to go on the pasture that has the greatest amount of carryover from the previous year. So if you have a pasture that you may have rested late in the season, start in that cell because it'll give you the greatest opportunity of bigger in that cell. And so within your rotation, Pick the ones that have the most cover on them. Even if you were not normally going to do that, pick that cell first because it will give you the greatest opportunity to delay on those pastures that were hit harder. Um, A good grazing system or good strategy is to create resiliency in your system. That's how you get by with a one-year drought. And so I would tell producers, think about your grazing strategies to, to find ways so you don't have these overused pastures. You can create some natural deferment in the spring side and on the back side you do have pastures that do have more residue and they become your first sales graze the next year.
0: So what you're saying is that the best drought management plan isn't even, like we're talking about it now and you know thinking about it right now, which is good, but the even better way to go about it is just making it part of your every year planning. You know, how can I plan for a drought in future years and adapt my rotation so that it sets me up for success in the future.
1: Right. You're trying to create resiliency in your system. And you do that by plan, always planning for a drought, especially in the western Dakotas. I mean, we are, we are drier more than we're wetter. And so always have that resiliency built into your system. It's hard to capture the wet years then when you do that, but try to be optimum, not maximum.
0: Mm-hmm. I remember one time I asked my dad, I was like, well, I was in Taiwan and they were asking, on average, how much precipitation we get. And I asked him and he go, he laughs and he goes, I don't know what averages are. In North Dakota, like, you know, it just varies so much that you can basically throw an average out the window. Okay. Yes. <laughs> but, okay, let's... We're going to be optimistic now, right? Let's say that come may the floodgates open and the rain just starts pouring down in this scenario are there still precautions ranchers need to take or you know what are some thoughts in that type of situation
1: so you know hopefully we do get a lot of rain in may i mean obviously as a farmer you don't want all that rain in may because you got to get in the crops in but if we do get some excess moisture in the month of may um depending on what your history of grazing is if you have if you're if your, if your grasslands are healthy throughout, that excess rain in May will produce more biomass than normal, which would not normally happen otherwise. And so there's really no precaution. Um, the caveat is, is you, at least you can expect to have a good year. There are producers who grazed their pastures hard last year because they didn't have any choice. So even those areas where we get extra rain in May, it still may not give you back to normal. Um, so the only precaution to me is Manage right up front in the front side and then those good those good may rains will almost guarantee you excess Grass, which is always what we like to see in terms of creating more habitat as well Because you're a big wildlife hunter like me. I want more habitat. (laughs) we go chase the sharpies or the pheasants
0: Right, right. I mean, let's say we don't get rain in May Uh, Is there a scenario, you know, we get rain in July or something like that where it would kind of change Someone's plan
1: Sure, and some you know I always say this you know ranchers are always optimistic. It's always going to rain eventually. And well, and that's and that's how we, you know, how we stay in agriculture stay is because
0: we're very optimistic. <laughs> else, but, yeah.
1: <laughs> but the caveat is, is we grow our grass in the Dakotas in May and June, and so if we don't get rain in May and June, we have a bad year of production. But when when we get rain in July and August it really does not give us a big bump in production so even though you may get an eight inch rain and we saw this in um 27 2007 for those who are old enough you remember 2006 2007 we it was 2007 6 was a drought year but we got eight inches of rain in late July we grew very little grass because of the timing what July rain will give you is higher quality because it greens up But it doesn't produce much more biomass. So I know it's great to get rain, but just know that will not give you more biomass that given year if it was dry in May and June.
0: If we're getting rain in July, would that be a good time to maybe plant some cover crops? Or how can we optimize that extra precipitation that we're getting later in the season?
1: So I think we're going to see that this year. We're going to see producers looking for alternatives, alternative forage sources. And I think we're going to see some of these annuals uh for instance a forged barley or a millet or whatever you want for an annual forage crop that you can plant to, to capture some more forages and, and i think producers need to think about have that already planned out because seed might become come short when it gets to may and june you want to do some seeding but think about what you may want to do and then time that seeding with the moisture so even if we're dry in june and we get some july moisture we can still go in with the fox, chill, millet or go in with the grass or sorghum grass, and get that seeded and get some production off of it. So you can do that throughout most of the month of July. Once we get to August 1, it gets really tricky on enough growing season to do it. But I, w- I still have no problem with even a, if you get a really good moisture in August, you could come in with, a, with an oat, with a forage oat, seed that that time period. It's a shorter growing plant. And you can, any production's better than no production. And so just to try to time that with your moisture. To capture that biomass from that crop,
0: right? Uh, you know, kind of along those same lines. You know, over the years, I think it's pretty safe to say that on the dry years, ranchers get pretty creative finding alternative forages. Can you recall what some of the most innovative alternative forages you've heard of, or maybe even advised people on utilizing?
1: So I'll tell you a story with in the two thousand six drought. Um, back in the day it was really dry and i remember giving talks throughout western north dakota on alternative forages and the one i thought about was the turnip and i remember talking to producers on turnips for forages and there was one old rancher in the back said that boy just fell off the turnip wagon trying to plant turnips and what do we see today in most of our cover crops it's turnips and so think about some of those different forages that are an alternative. And turnips, a mixture of brassicas like a turnip and a radish with another grass, whether it's an oat or a millet, is it's almost, we call it a cover crop today, but those mixtures are, are ways to get a cheap seed mix that will take advantage of those moisture events to grow you some forages. And so those are ones that, that's one that really comes to my mind. Um, things to think about also is if you have any kind of of crops that might have drought damage to them, that might be a grazing source. Any kind of residues that you have out there become a source. The thing to remember when a drought is almost all your residues are high in fiber, low in protein. They can provide a really good fiber source, but make sure you feed the rumen, basically that part of the animal that can, the microbes need protein to break down fiber. So use those alternative feed sources out there, but know you may have to supplement protein to make your cow use them effectively.
0: And I would probably throw a plug out there, too, is make sure that you're getting those forages um, nitrate tested. Correct, yeah. And you can work with your local (laughs) county extension agent to get that figured out as well. I know when I wrote out this question, the one uh, memory that came to mind was back at home, Dad had me planting this cover crop, and then I kind of left, and I was gone for the summer, and so probably in july or august i finally brought it up again and i was like hey how did how'd that cover crop come up and he laughed and he went well hannah i'm not quite sure what you planted but it wasn't cover crop because all that came up was kosher <laughs> but him being the innovative crazy thinker that he is we found some information about how to make that into silage and so we had kosher silage that fall and um yeah, I mean, of course, it has its own concerns and whatnot when it comes to doing those little oddball things. But we made it work, and mm-hmm. it came but together.
1: Remember the old days, using kochia and Russian thistle for hay. I'm talking 30s, 40s <laughs> um, was a common use. But you're right. you got to think about nitrate toxicities with kochia and Russian thistle. They have their value, whether it's a silage or a hay, but no, you need to test those before you feed them because they can tend to be what I call a hot feed mm-hmm. source.
0: Yeah, I know that was something we definitely had to keep an eye on when we were feeding it out to calves that Good fall. example, though. Right? <laughs> okay, well, as we're kind of moving into wrapping things up, I guess first question, do you think we've covered everything that we needed to cover?
1: Yeah, I just want producers to, to just realize that this is probably one of the worst droughts I've seen that relates to last, a full year ago, fall, and winter, Um, And so they need to really think about not only forage production, but also water sources. Um, We didn't have any snow runoff this year, so if you're relying on on a dugout or a creek, um, water's going to be short, and more than likely it'll be high in total dissolved nitrates or nutrients. And so you may need to test your waters as well because I think there's going to be some high potential for death in cattle if you don't take a look at your water sources
0: something else your local county extension agent Correct. can help you with. One last plug, right?
1: That's right.
0: Okay, well, moving on to the last question, on a little bit of a lighter note, can you share with us one of the, your favorite projects or programs that you've worked on as a range extension specialist? I know you've been around the block a couple times.
1: <laughs> so I've been working with NDSU Use for 30, going on 32 years. And I'd say my most rewarding program has been my youth activities, or my range youth camp in particular, um, which will be going on our 32nd year, um, and then state range judging. So the opportunity to work with youth, um, with range judging, and range camps has probably been my most rewarding. I've probably had the chance over my career work with close to 1,000 4-Hers and FFA individuals that, for me, just get a chance to be outside for four days, enjoy an activity, and learn something that they would normally not get a chance to do. And it's always funny, I, I'll have kids go home, they'll be there for four days, stuck with me for four days, and they go home and they talk to their dad or their mom and say, I learned this at range camp, we should probably do some of this. And then their dad or mom comes back to me, what the hell the heck did you teach <laughs> my kids? Um, but it's always rewarding for, for t- to get that feedback. And then those, those I would say these youth become our next adults, become our next managers, they may become our next pol- politicians. And so if we can tr- get, at least get the to enjoy our range resource, it's a win-win for all of us.
0: No, I, you know, being a little youth participant back in the day, I definitely think that my experiences with range judging and getting to learn the different plants was probably the thing that has prepared me the most for my job you know if somebody comes in and they've got a range question i feel way more comfortable Mm -hmm. answering those types of you know inquiries and everything so i think anything that can set youth up for you know actual their jobs or careers or just even having a better understanding understanding of our ecosystem is really important
1: i totally agree
0: Okay, well, that is a wrap. Thank you so much for sitting down with me, Kevin. And yeah, I guess we'll catch you on the flip side.
1: My pleasure, as always.
0: If you found yourself tapping along to our theme music, those rights go out to Chuck Suki. He sure can write a catchy tune. Thursdays are launch days for new episodes. A final thanks to Nolan Dix over on the mix board. Hair and makeup by Country Style. Coffee provided by George's and the Owl. Sure to keep you wide-eyed from sunup to sundown. And of course, to you, the listener, for your continued support. Agriculture Applied can be heard wherever podcasts can be found. If you're having trouble or have any sort of question, give me a call at 701 567 2735 and just ask for Hannah. Until next time, take care.